step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Jessica Easterly was very kind and always willing to help anyone in need. When several days passed without Jessica contacting her family and friends, questions began to arise. When a Facebook message was received by Maria, her best friend, through Jessica's account, the questions quickly multiplied. This was the moment they knew something could be horribly wrong. Where was Jessica Renee Easterly? When a crime is committed, evidence is always created. This evidence, no matter how big or small, is the criminal's print. Welcome to the Criminal Prince Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Criminal Prince Podcast. Thank you so very much for taking the time out of your busy day today to tune in. We're on Season 3, Episode 8, The Mysterious Death of Jessica Easterly. This is definitely an interesting case with a lot of circumstantial evidence pointing towards one individual. Having said this, not having a specific cause of death has thrown in a major curveball. Jessica Easterly was born on August 17, 1976. She was born in Dilberville, Mississippi. Her mother is Donna, and her biological father is Lloyd Easterly. Unfortunately, Lloyd wasn't as involved in Jessica's life as he should have been. When she was young, her parents divorced. Her mother got remarried to Rick Schmidt. Rick took over the father's role for Jessica. He loved her as he did his very own. Jessica has two sisters, Audrey and Amanda Schmidt. For Rick, there was literally no difference between Jessica, Amanda, and Audrey. They were his. Friends and family describe Jessica as always having a positive attitude and always being happy and smiling. Jessica loved to read and she loved to cook. Going along with the cooking, she enjoyed putting together dinner parties. She loved all types of music, and her favorite artist was Prince. She also enjoyed reality TV, favorite show being Mob Wives. She was also a big fan of Marilyn Monroe. She graduated from Ocean Springs High School, located in Ocean Springs, Mississippi. In 1994, she started attending the University of South Alabama. Jessica was working on getting a degree in audiology and speech. Let's go ahead now to where she met and started a relationship with Justin Durning. 
they decided to get married on February 25th, 2015. They were married at the Hard Rock Casino and Hotel. This was Jessica's first marriage. However, it was Justin's third. Justin had a daughter named Grace from a previous relationship. Unfortunately, Grace's biological mother was not involved in her life, but Jessica raised Grace as her own, much like Rick did for her. She started raising Grace at an early age, and they had a very close bond. In fact, Grace referred to Jessica as mom. In Justin's previous marriages, he had a history of violence. To put it nicely, he had several problems with multiple previous relationships. For example, one previous relationship, he owes over $7,000 in back pay for child support payments. Another example is one of his previous ex-wives has a restraining order against him. This was a result from a domestic violence charge against him in 2011. Justin had been charged with aggravated battery. According to Audrey, Justin was very controlling of Jessica. Every time they talked, Justin would make Jessica put the phone on speaker. That way he could hear the conversation. To add to this, Justin has said several things in the past to Audrey that were very inappropriate. Not only was he controlling, he was also physically and mentally abusive towards Jessica. In a text message that Jessica sent to her best friend Maria, she told her that Justin had hit her several times. Jessica also told Maria that she was afraid of what he would do if she left him. According to Maria, Jessica had said several times that if she tried leaving him, he would kill her. To add to this, Jessica didn't want to leave Grace by herself. She truly loved Grace as if she was her own daughter. The date is August 12th, 2019. It is a Monday. Maria calls Jessica, but got no answer. Jessica called back while she was at a doctor's appointment with Grace. She called at this time because Justin was not with them, and she could actually talk to Maria without him listening. Jessica called Maria three times. Maria couldn't answer the first two because she was taking a shower at the time. When Maria answered the third call, Jessica was scared and frantic. She told Maria that she was in a horrible situation at home, and she was finally ready to leave. Jessica then asked Maria if she would come pick her up. Unfortunately, the timing of it just wasn't right. For example, Maria wasn't able to come pick her up because she had to get her kids from school starting at 2.30 p.m. By the time they talked, it was after 11 a.m. Maria lived in Mobile, Alabama, and Jessica lived in Lakeview, New Orleans. This is just over a two-hour drive each way. They then made a plan for Maria to pick Jessica up the next morning. The plan was for Maria to go get Jessica after she dropped the children off at school. At 2.43 p.m., Maria messaged Jessica through Facebook Messenger. She said, I need to talk to Jonathan about everything tonight when we get home from Sai's practice. Jessica responded, Okay, just hang on. I don't know what's going to happen when I get home. Keep in mind, Maria is expecting to hear back from Jessica before she drives over. We are now on August 13th, 2019, a Tuesday. This is the morning Maria was supposed to pick her up. However, she had not heard back from Jessica. The message from her the previous day is the last time she had heard from her. 
It was the hang on, I don't know what's going to happen message. Maria tried both calling and texting her several times. The morning came and went, and Maria got no response from her. She made the decision not to drive up there without first hearing from Jessica. Let's move ahead to August 14th. At 9 p.m., Maria received a message from Jessica's Facebook account. It was from her account, but it was not from Jessica. It was Justin messaging. He asked Maria if Jessica was with her. At this point, Maria said she was not with her and asked when the last time he spoke with her was. Justin said about noon. As soon as she got this message, Maria suspected that something was seriously wrong. In her mind, she'd hoped that Jessica had finally left Justin. This is something that they talked about many times before, getting her out of this abusive marriage. And to be honest, this was one of the number one priorities. She needed to get out of there. At the same time, Maria was fearful that Justin had hurt her. Justin tells Maria that she didn't take anything with her. For example, her keys, car, purse, ID, and money were still at the house. Maria then asked specifically if Jessica had her cell phone. He responded that she didn't. It was at the house as well. At this point, Maria said she was going to call the police. Justin quickly pushed back and he had an excuse that he didn't want to worry Grace. He said, okay, you're going to freak Grace out, but... Clearly, he didn't like the idea of the police getting involved. It's kind of ironic because Grace was probably already a little concerned about her mother not being there. Maria responded, If Jonathan came home from work and all my stuff was here and the kids didn't know where I was, he would already be talking to the police. At this point, Jessica had been missing for roughly nine hours. Next, Justin gave a what I consider very disturbing response. He said, quote, I know how to file a missing persons report. Do you think I hurt her or something? Close quote. Why in the world would he talk about hurting her without it even being brought up? This is very baffling to me. Justin then tells Maria that he had called the police and the hospitals. According to Justin, the police told him he needed to wait 48 hours before filing a report. Now, this is very interesting because Maria also called the police station and talked to them. When Maria called, they said that Justin had never called them. The officer added that they would never tell him he had to wait for 48 hours before filing a report. Maria asked the New Orleans Police Department to do a wellness check on Jessica. Justin didn't want the police to come in the house or even file a missing persons report, however. He only did so after Maria called the police and told them that Jessica was missing. However, he did file the report on the night of the 14th. One additional note, when we refer to Justin and Jessica's house, Justin's father also lived there. From what we understand, he lived on one side of the house and they lived on the other side. Unfortunately, the New Orleans Police Department wasn't taking her case seriously. They seemed to do very little to no effort in searching for Jessica. The same with Justin. He also put very little to no effort in searching for his own wife. Jessica's family decided to take matters into their own hands and they got together to search for her on August 22nd. Helping in the search was Audrey, Amanda, and their cousin. Their cousin, 
was actually a mortician and recognized the smell of a decaying body. He believed they were searching in the correct area, and within minutes Audrey found her sister's body. When Audrey found Jessica's body, she called her other sister Amanda over, and Amanda called 911 to notify them of the grim discovery. Shockingly, Jessica was only two to three blocks from her house. The road that Jessica's body was found on is a dead-end road. Her body was located at the edge of the woods, near the train tracks. In my opinion, this seems like a location where a body would be placed. When discovered, Jessica had on black shoes, black shorts, and a black tank top. Sadly, the lack of police work would come into question yet once again. When her body was found, the police did not do an extensive search of the area. They essentially went in there, moved her body as quickly as possible, and did very little to zero in the way of forensics. For example, no crime scene tape was left where Jessica's body was discovered. After her body was found, Justin voluntarily went to the police station, and by the time he left, over three hours had passed. He was aware that things didn't appear very good for him. He was the last person to see Jessica, and her body was just two to three blocks from their home. It didn't look good, and there was other things that didn't look good for Justin that we will talk about shortly. Jessica's body had significantly decomposed by the time it was discovered. This made the cause of death extremely difficult to determine. The coroner's office said, quote, Advanced changes of decomposition can make determination of cause and manner of death difficult as it did in this case, close quote. Having said this, Jessica's body did have significant damage to it as well. An autopsy was performed on a Sunday. Here are some of the injuries they determined. A broken jaw, fractured nose, and broken neck. Specifically, the C4 vertebrae in her neck was broken. That wasn't all. She also had a broken rib, and the pathologist found evidence that the broken nose and broken jaw occurred around the time of her death. He believed that the broken rib and neck happened after her death. This is because there was no evidence of hemorrhaging in those specific areas. Unfortunately, a determination wasn't made if these injuries had anything to do with her death. Because a specific cause of death couldn't be determined, it made things beyond difficult. Currently, Jessica's cause of death is listed as undetermined. There are several reasons they gave for this. Number one is they say that a drug-related death cannot be ruled out. I understand this, however I have a simple question. How do you explain all the damage done to Jessica's body? One of the main problems here is that the coroner has not ruled Jessica's death as a homicide. It's very difficult to argue that somebody committed a crime when at this point the county coroner is not even ruling it a homicide. The coroner's office said the case remains open and they continued, if new relevant information comes to light, the cause and manner of death can be reevaluated. Now let's go to March 15th, 2020. A couple in the Lakeview neighborhood contacted Audrey about two items they found. They found Jessica's ID card along with a blanket. These items were roughly 15 yards from where Jessica's body had been discovered 
just seven months earlier. You have to ask yourself, how were these items missed when Jessica's body was originally found? Is it because the police did a little or zero searching? If that's it, what a major mistake on their part. Or was this stuff dropped off there later? The identification card was crinkled up and appeared to have had been there for some time. There's one other observation that I want to point out here. Think about when Justin contacted Maria to tell her that Jessica was missing. In one of his Facebook messages to Maria, he specifically said that her ID was still at the house. This is very questionable because we know it was later found by the Lakeview couple. Personally, I find this conflicting information very disturbing. Something else that Justin and Jessica were both into was they were part of the adult webcam community. They made adult content videos together and posted them online. This is actually where a large part of their income came from. In this pornographic community, Jessica went by the name Vivianne. This is who her fans knew her as, Vivianne. When Jessica died, Justin started two separate GoFundMe accounts. One was in a real name, and the other one was her stage name, Vivianne. Here's where we get into several very disturbing developments. We know Jessica died in August. After her death, he continued logging onto her adult content page and talking to her fans. He was actually impersonating her, and the fans believed they were still talking to Vivienne. It only got worse from here. He continued putting out their videos and pictures onto the porn sites. This way he could continue to benefit financially from them. He flat out lied about her death date. He told the community that Jessica had died in November. As pathetic as this is, and it truly is pathetic, it gets even worse once again. We talked about the GoFundMe page that he started after she passed away. On her Vivian page, he offered to send personal items of Jessica to anyone that donated. For example, her underwear, sex toys, shoes, and more. Here's one of the statements from the GoFundMe account. If you donate, you will receive exclusive pics, videos, lingerie, and even shoes. I don't even know what to say about this, but why would you take advantage of the death of your spouse in this manner? And it was a pretty recent death, that's... Wow. In my opinion, this is absolutely horrifying of Justin to do. There's one other note I wanted to make about Justin. After Jessica disappeared and was ultimately found deceased, he waited for a month to call her parents. Not cool at all, Justin. There are several obstacles that have made Jessica's case very difficult. One of these is a complete lack of police effort. We know that when Jessica's body was found, the area wasn't even taped off. This lack of effort could be evidenced by the fact that the ID and the blanket weren't found until months later by a resident. The question is simple. Why wasn't the area searched properly by law enforcement? And to add to this, did the police really even search for Jessica's body? I'm not so sure that they did, because I think if they had, I hope, they would have found her much sooner. And if they had found her much sooner, that could have really changed the investigation. It could have given us a lot of answers um, towards the cause of her death. 
To this day, Jessica's family doesn't feel law enforcement is taking Jessica's case seriously, and to be honest, if I were in their position, I'd feel the same way. To this day, Justin hasn't officially been questioned by the police. Yes, he voluntarily went to the station after her body was found. However, this was because he was in a panic. This wasn't an official interview. According to the Easterly family, Justin has a history of drug abuse. Why has he not been brought in and officially questioned? Typically, the spouse and or the last person with the victim gets questioned immediately. This happens to be Justin in both situations. We also want to know, has Justin's house been searched for evidence? Because as far as we can tell, the knowledge that we have, it has not. Having said this, we really hope that it has been searched and that we just aren't aware of it, which is entirely possible. We would also like to know, did Justin's dad get questioned? He did live in the house. He could have pertinent information. On another topic, up until recently, Jessica's body was stuck at the morgue. Justin was considered the next of kin and not Jessica's family members, which makes sense in most cases. Because of this, Justin was the one in charge of picking up her remains and organizing a funeral. He, however, was not doing that. On February 2nd, 2021, the Easterly family received fabulous news. The coroner was finally releasing Jessica's remains to her family. He was able to release her remains due to lack of contact by Justin. Jessica's remains had been in the morgue for an incredible 530 days. On February 16th, 2021, her family was able to have a small get-together and celebrate Jessica's life. It was small, unfortunately, due to COVID. However, the plans are to have a larger celebration and a larger gathering once COVID slows down. The current status of the investigation. On January 24th of 2020, Audrey and Rick Schmidt had a meeting with detectives from the New Orleans Police Department. This is when they informed them that this is now considered a cold case. Thankfully, however, it doesn't appear it'll stay cold forever. The police obtained a futon and a headboard that was thrown away shortly after Jessica disappeared. Both of these items had been in Jessica's room. On October 20th of 2020, law enforcement took forensic samples from both items. We are, however, still waiting on the results of these samples. In May 2021, Audrey met with District Attorney Jason Williams. Jason is known as the People's DA. He is the Orleans Parish District Attorney. Personally, I take it that this meeting was successful, and the reason I say this is because shortly after it, there was an announcement that Jason would be re-examining Jessica's cause of death. Here's the statement that the DA's office released. District Attorney Williams is absolutely willing to meet with the family of Jessica Easterly Durning to discuss this horrible matter. He is also very committed to re-examining this matter with fresh eyes and revisiting all facts and evidence involved. It concluded by saying DA Williams is dedicated to seeking justice. This could be what Jessica's case needs, and I hope that they follow up on their words. Could this re-examination help change Jessica's cause of death from undetermined to a homicide? 
I think it's very possible. If needed, I say bring in a third party to do a re-examination. District Attorney Jason Williams becoming involved is definitely a step in the right direction. This also gives me hope that Jessica's case remains open and is currently being investigated. Now, let's go to our criminal print section. We know Justin was the last person to see Jessica alive. According to Justin, they laid down to take a nap at around 1 p.m. Justin says this, of course, is on the 14th. He claims when he woke up at 3, Jessica was gone. Typically, the husband, as you probably know, is one of the first individuals investigated in a case like this. So, Justin is both the last person to see Jessica, and he's the spouse. There was a prior history of Justin being both physically and mentally abusive towards Jessica. He had even threatened to kill her if she ever left him. We know this because we have text messages that Jessica sent to her best friend Maria. One of Justin's ex-wives had a restraining order against him. This was from a domestic violence charge against him in 2011. He was also beyond controlling of her. Remember that Jessica had to put all her phone calls on speaker so he could listen in as well. The last time any family members or friends talked to Jessica was on the 12th. We unfortunately don't know the exact date that Jessica disappeared. We've seen that Jessica was probably deep cleaning the house on the 13th. Having said this, we're not able to verify it, and we can't help but wonder if police have interviewed Grace. Maybe Grace could clear up some of this timeline. I want to point out that no cameras in the neighborhood saw Jessica leaving her home that day. If Justin's account is accurate, I would have thought that at least one camera would have caught her leaving. Keep in mind, this happened in 2019, not 1990. Security systems are very common today, and quite frankly, they were fairly common in 2019 as well. For example, Ring. I'm willing to bet that several people in Jessica's neighborhood did have cameras. Jessica's body was found by family members on the 22nd. Depending on when she disappeared, it's anywhere from 8 to 10 days after she was last seen. The police didn't take her disappearance seriously, and they really didn't do any searching at all. When her body was discovered, the area was not even taped off as a crime scene, and after the autopsy, the coroner listed Jessica's cause of death as undetermined. During the autopsy, several very disturbing discoveries were made. Jessica had a fractured nose, broken jaw, broken C4 vertebrae in her neck, and a broken rib. The coroner concluded that the broken nose and broken jaw occurred around the time of her death. He believed that the broken rib and broken neck occurred after death. The reason he gave was there was no hemorrhaging in these areas. Her body was found just two and a half blocks from her house. It appeared her body had been placed in this location. By the time her body was found, it was in the advanced stages of decomposition. This made the cause of death very difficult to determine, and until the coroner rules that foul play is suspected, her case is essentially at a standstill. On March 15th of 2020, Jessica's ID was found just 15 yards from where her body was discovered all those months before. A blanket was found there as well that belonged to Jessica. 
Justin has talked to police, but he has never been officially questioned about Jessica's death. We have the futon bed and headboard that law enforcement took DNA samples from. These items did come from Jessica's room and were thrown away after her death. Unfortunately, as of this recording, we are still waiting on the results of these DNA tests. Let's get into theories a little bit here. Was Jessica's adult webcam work somehow related to her death? For example, a possible stalker? Personally, I don't think it can be eliminated. However, I'm not convinced this is what happened. If Justin's account of what happened is correct, then Jessica would have left the house on her own. Nobody saw her outside or walking about on the 14th. And if the stalker went in their house, Justin, you would think, would have woke up. He claims he didn't even feel her get out of bed. Were drugs involved in Jessica's death? That's possible, of course. However, there's one thing that we can't explain about this theory. If Jessica had died from drugs, why did her body appear to have been placed where it was found? Was Jessica's death a result of a domestic violence incident? To be honest, I believe this is the most likely theory. There was a history of abuse, Justin physically abusing Jessica. He even threatened to kill her if she tried to leave him. I think that Jessica had finally had enough of his crap and wanted to get away. This could have led to a major fight in which Jessica was hurt and ultimately killed. This would also explain the broken bones that Jessica suffered before her death. I want to personally give a shout out to Audrey. She has done everything she possibly can to bring justice for her sister. In fact, this is how I found out about the case. She messaged us through one of our social media accounts. This is truly a sister's love. Audrey's determination is helping spread the word of the case and keeping Jessica in the spotlight. Also, I want to personally thank you, Audrey, for all your help in researching the case. Your help and patience is very much appreciated. So thank you so much. I will leave you with a quote from Jessica's sister, Audrey. She said, I'm just trying to get justice for her. Jessica's best friend, Maria, said, I'll never forgive myself for the way I let her down. Audrey has started a petition requesting DA Jason Williams to investigate Jessica's cause of death. You can find this petition on change.org, and the link is also on the Twitter page, Justice for Jessica E. Last time we checked, it had about 78,000 signatures. Please, if this is something that you think needs to happen, go check out the petition. It won't take but a minute. Tips and information. If you have any tips or information, you can contact Crime Stoppers at 504-822-1111. You can also contact the New Orleans Police Department, 3rd District at 504-658-6030. The family's website is justiceforjessica.org. And remember, if you have any pressing tips or information, you can always call 911. That wraps up our episode. The Mysterious Death of Jessica Easterly. Thank you so much for listening, and I pray answers are received for the Easterly family. If you would be so kind, please leave us a five-star review on whichever app you listen to, and it would help the podcast continue growing. Thanks again, everyone. Stay safe and have an absolutely fantastic week. And remember, keep your record clean and your prints off the scene.